thank you so much, Neil, for joining us. Tell me, how did you get into status quo? I think I was about 10 years old, and that was 1980. And it's a familiar story you've been told before, I'm sure. Um, 12 Gold Bars came out, and um, I, w- I went on holiday to visit some cousins, and uh, I was just getting into music around that time. You know, when you're, I was still at primary school, and I was getting into music. If I just backtrack a little bit before I got into Quo, around 1978, that's when I really started getting into music. And I'd been to see the, the film Grease at the cinema, which I absolutely loved. I got, this, I got the, the double album for Christmas. And so, like, with some pocket money, I'd bought, you know, the singles, um, Grease Lightning and all that. And I found myself getting into rock and roll. And also around that time, because I'm only a kid, right? I'm only, like, eight years old. I had some pocket money, so I used to spend my pocket money on singles. Also, around that time, in the 70s, like music was very tribal. Like What I was seeing as a child was, you know, I don't know if it was an overhang from the mods and rockers thing from the 60s, but like in the late 70s, you had rock bands, you know, like hairy rock bands, like Quo and whoever. Who else was there in the 70s? Motorhead, bands like that. And then you had punk, you had the punk movement. Uh, and you had like two tone and there was new wave. There was all these kind of different things happening. And I thought it was important to get to choose one, to choose one of them because it, it just, it just seemed like that was the way that things were. So I decided to go down the rock route. So, um, I remember I bought a motorhead t-shirt when I was about eight or nine or something. So. How I got into Quo was 1980. I listened to 12 Gold Bars at my cousin's house and I heard Roll Over Lay Down on, on there, which is the course, it's the, they never released that as a single, right? It, there was a live EP um, from the Curzel, but they never did the studio, but it's the studio version on, on 12 Gold Bars. And that did something to me like I'd never experienced before that music had ever done. You know, I mean, I was, I was jumping around the lounge to, to grease lightning and things like that, but <laughs> what do you want? But uh, but this quo thing was like, oh, this is. I had like a like a physical reaction to it. It was like, like quite a bit in the middle, and then it builds up into the, the you know the final uh, the final chorus. That was like this is amazing. So I thought, right, I'm going to get into quo. So I think the next thing that came out, they released um, just supposing. So like. You know, I wasn't buying albums, so I bought the singles. I bought uh, Lies, Don't Drive My Car, and uh, Just Supposing. And I remember like playing them. They, you know, you've just got a seven-inch record, so you play one track. It's not like now when you can go on Spotify and listen to everything. Um, so you just play what you're proposing over and over again, and then you'd flip it over, and then there's this like instrumental side, AB Blues on the other side. And I... I think that was the first time I'd ever heard blues music, you know, like a like a like a twelve bar blues thing. And I was wondering, like, when they were going to start singing because it's just instrumental. But again, same effect with um, "Roll Over, Lay Down." That tw- that twelve bar blues on on that track, AB Blues, that did something to me as well. And I thought, this is this is for me, you know, this is my kind of music. So, um, following year, I bought something about your baby. I like that came out. I don't think I bought. 
rock and roll. But anyway, I was getting into them. I didn't have any albums, um, just the singles. And they'd watch them on top of the pops. And then in 82, my dad's work social club, they put a poster up saying that they were doing a coach trip to go to the NEC. I think it was for the Princess Trust. So I'm 12 now. And I asked my parents if I could go to, um, to that. And they said, no, you're too young, which I was really disappointed about. But then I was delighted to see that they were going to be showing it on the, on the telly, you know, on BBC. So, um, so I watched that. It was absolutely fixed uh, to, the, to the screen. And then... I don't think they transmitted it live because they used to do a sight and sound thing. Sometimes on BBC, they would they did live aid. You could watch something on the TV and you could listen to it in you know, FM stereo on, on Radio 1 right at the same time. Um, but on the Tommy Vance rock show, I think it was a week or two later, they broadcast the whole thing. And I, I taped it. Um, it's a two-hour show. So I had a C120 tape. Tape. Uh, the Prince's Trust gig. And that was just like a revelation. That was just like having seen it on the telly and seen the, the audience reaction and then listening to the, um, the radio broadcast. And the, the introduction that Tommy Vance gave to that show, he'd be saying it was like the most incredible thing he'd ever witnessed in his life. You know, that really sealed the deal for me. And then um, I decided that Quo were my band really. I was getting into other bands as well, but really that was like, it felt, it was important to me, I felt, to have a main band. So, so they were, they were the ones. And then, um, what else happened around that time? I think for Christmas, was it Christmas 82? I managed to get the FTMO. I asked for the, the from, from the makers of um, box set. I didn't get the, the metal tin. That was great because, you know, there's all those album tracks that you'd never heard before. Like I'd never heard Pictures of Matchstick Men before, all the early tracks, and then the heavier tracks. It's great. But don't waste my time. Don't waste my time on the, on the Live at the NEC album. It was just um, just the, the, the riff, you know, the, the, the main little guitar riff that Francis plays. That just was, I just thought it was the most amazing. And I could imagine all these people jumping around in the audience and um i thought i want to be I want to be part of this so much then 82 83 they were we'd got a video record by then uh like a vhs tape player and in my local shop they were selling live at the nec on video and it was really expensive it was about i think it i think it was about 35 pounds or something which is seems expensive now but like in 1982 it was a 40 um, I don't know how I got it because I didn't have a part-time job, but I must have saved up some birthday money or something. I, after about six months, I could buy it, and then I, I played that tape over and over and over again. Like I watched it every day, you know, knew it yeah, back back to back. If you'll excuse the pun, and then of course back to back came out, and I started buying. I, I got the album for Christmas, and then joined the fan club, and then. I was gutted when they said in, in uh, 84 that they were going to do one more tour. And I was like, oh, man, I've got to, I've got to go and see this. So I went to, uh, to Blackpool on the End of the Road tour. 
there was another fan club. So um, I managed to get uh, like fan club tickets. What you could do is you could you could send an application off with a with a um, postal order. Um, I don't think they do postal orders anymore. But anyway, you go you go to the post office and you give them some cash, and they'd sort of give you like a the equivalent of a check, uh, um, and you'd send it off to the fan club and um, get fan club seats. And in those days, fan club seats were great because they were down the front. So what they did at Blackpool was uh, it was seated, but they took they took out the first four rows. So so A B C D was just like a, a mosh pit. So all the hardcore blokes were down there and we were like we were only 14 but we were we were on row g so we were only like three rows back from all the all the action but relatively safe you know within our little row so we were, st- were able to sort of jump around and headbang and play a guitar and, stuff like that. and that was just i mean i can't i can't really remember a lot of that now anymore to be honest i can remember certain bits about it i can remember the lights going down i can remember the harry louder tape coming on keep right onto the end of the road intro and the lights coming down and then the drone starting and all the all the ice you know um and then just the just the roar of the crowd when they came on that was that was amazing that's how i got into quo um, really in a nutshell and then i went to milton Keynes, uh and then i thought that was it you know i thought that's my time with quo but then it was just the start of the start of it all so to to Backtrack for just a second, Milton Keynes, that is, you know, f- for most fans, it's like one of the best gigs that they ever played, despite the fact the band themselves haven't always had the best word to say about it. And it's one of the most sort of, it's, at the time, you had no idea that they were going to come back in like two years' time. So the emotion level must have been humongous. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, you know, for me, like I'd only just really got into them, and I'd, I'd only just, well, for a couple of years. But then it was like my last chance to go and see them. So I said, I begged my mum and dad to let me go because my dad was like, "What do you want to go and see him again for? You just seen him, like, you know, in June." And I was like, "Yeah, but it's the last gig." And he goes, "Oh, it won't be the last. They'll come back, you know." No, they won't. They because they've, they've said they've said it's the last gig, you know, they won't. So my mum, my mum said, "Oh, I'll, I'll, you can't go on your own. So I, I'll come with you. Bless her. So you could get um, tickets um, for a, with a local coach company. I can't remember it was. They were all over the country. So you just you'd go and buy a ticket, and and then you get the coach trip down to the gig. And um, I don't know if you know, because I, I was watching the the gig yesterday. I, I always watch it on the twenty first of July." Right now, you know, because you watch it on YouTube, and it's been Luke Hargreaves has done an amazing job uh, remastering it with the audio and cleaned up the, the video. It's amazing. I was watching that yesterday, and there's at the start. I think during Roll Over Lay Down, there's a big banner that's up in the air, and it says Blackpool lads say tar. And they, those lads were on our coach because I remember seeing that banner back on the coach, and they were all taking the mickey out. Oh, little, little lad there is with his mum, you know, but. I you know, I had my denim jacket on. I had all the patches and stuff. I had my end of the road T shirt on that I bought from that. So I was like, ah, oh, you know, love me. But yeah, uh, generally that was it. Was a pretty emotional uh, time thinking that it was going to be the last time you'd ever see them. Um, but it was. I remember it was so 
massive. The, the, the rig was huge. We, we were about halfway between the, the mixing tower and, and the stage because there's no way I could have gone down the front being a kid with my mum. So we were sort of relatively safe. But I remember I was really getting into it because I was thinking this is my last chance to rock out to 4,500 times or jump about to hold you back and all those songs. So I was really, really going for it. And uh, I was creating my own my own little one-man mosh pit. There was like a circle, a gap appeared around me because I was just flailing around thinking this is my last chance. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the when they did the spotlights during the Roadhouse Blues and that, when they're doing the jig, uh, that was that was incredible. But you know what? The 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 rig was so. But you know, it spelled quo in, in big letters. I never realised it. It said quo at the time when I was there because you you couldn't see the bottom of the stage. You couldn't see the lights at the bottom. You could only see them on the video, or if you were further back, like on the sides of the Milton Keynes Bowl. But when we're down the front where we were, it just looked like. Um, to sort of up, up and across. Uh, and it wasn't until I, I watched the video of it, they released the video of it about six months later. I got it home and I, I saw it. I was like, oh, that spells quo. And I felt really sad that I hadn't realised it at the time. Uh, I could, like I'd somehow missed out some something, some special celebration or something. But um, yeah, it was. And then, because they did Bye Bye Johnny and then they finished and we thought, oh, that's it. And then they came back on and did it again. They did another little five minutes and Francis was saying, yeah, we've, we've gone over the curfew here. They're going to kick us off. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty amazing. Well, at, at the time it was the last gig. So, you know, what are they going to yeah. do? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. And then, so then I decided because I realized, I thought, well, there's no more quo for me. I better get into Marillion then because Marillion were supporting and uh, I've seen them recently on top of the pops. So I thought, well, I'll status quo used to be my band, but now I'll get into Marillion instead. So then I sort of went down that road for a couple of years. And then and then Quo came back. So I got back in the <laughs> And it was quite a change a couple of years later in 86. The music changed, sort of the look yeah. changed. What what was your initial reaction to it? Because you would have been, what, 16? Yeah, 16. Um, so I was revising for my O-levels in um, May 86. And I was in my bedroom listening to the radio. And this song came on, and I thought, that sounds like Quo. I thought that, it sounded like an American country rock song, you know, like Georgia Satellites or something like that. And I thought, who's this? I thought, that sounds like Francis. And that chugga chugga rhythm sounds like Quo. And at the end, you know, the DJ said, oh, and that was status quo with Rolling Home. And I was like, I don't know. I mean, I knew Rolling Home from the Blue For You album, right? But I thought, that's not Rolling Home. That's that's a different Rolling Home. What is this? And then, of course, you know, it transpires. They've got a new, a new single coming out. When that came out, I bought it. And the cover is just Rick and Francis's bums on the front cover, isn't it? And there's no Alan. Now, I didn't know anything about what was going on. Because you didn't, right? There's, there was no way of knowing what was going on behind the scenes. But it was no surprise to me to not see Alan because previously, when he was still in the band, he didn't, you know, he wasn't there on the um, Mess of the Blues video. He wasn't there on the Margarita time video. And he wasn't even there on 
rocking all over the world, but they put the puppet on instead. But um, so I didn't know that Alan had left. I just assumed it was there were no, you know, they never. If they did say anything in the press, I didn't read about it. And then so we went to see Queen at Wembley and Quo with the support band and Kokomon. And um, I still didn't really twig. I, I couldn't really tell if, uh, you know, I didn't know anything about Rhino or Jeff. But I kind of thought, well, who are those guys playing? Where, where's, where's Pete Kershaw on drums? You know, where's Alan? And I just thought, well, maybe... Maybe they maybe they maybe they've just temporarily temporarily hired in some people to play with them so that they can do the gig because they've they'd split up, but they they sort of hadn't split up because they they reformed for Live Aid the year before in '85. So as far as I was concerned, although they'd said they'd split up, they were obviously still um, available for for commitments if asked to do so. So I assumed that, that Alan and Pete would be there at, with Queen, right? But then they weren't. And then I bought, I bought a Quo's Back t-shirt. And then I bought the, they had, they had two t-shirts at the Queen gig. They had the Quo's Back, which had the In the Army Now kind of crossed guitar thing on the front. But they also had another t-shirt with, with just Rick and Francis, uh, like a photograph of them. So I bought that one as well. And then In the Army Now, the album came out a bit later, didn't it, in the summer? And then it was obviously, it was obvious what had happened, you know, that the reformed with these new guys. And to be honest, I wasn't bothered. I was just glad that they were back. I was glad that status quo w- was back and that, and that we could go and see him live because to me, live was where, was where it really counted with quo because some of the albums were getting a bit iffy. You know, you had all the classics in the 70s, but some of the late, like, you know, 1982 and back to back, you know, they were all right. But when you went to see him live, they still played all the old, all the old classics, you know, you, you sort of had. It's kind of ironic that in more recent years, us hardcore fans would would moan about the setlist never changed, right? But back in the day, I I wanted the setlist to stay the same. I wanted it to be the same. I wanted um, forty five hundred times, big fat mama, don't waste my time and roadhouse blues. That's how I wanted a concert to finish because I just thought it's the the perfect combination of songs. You know, that's almost like an hour's worth of concert just with four songs. But it was brilliant. Like, if you're in the audience, it was that was always the thing for me with Quo. Was, it's not just about watching a band live on stage. It's about the, the two-way thing, the, the, sh- the shared energy between the audience and the band. So to be part of the Quo army with those songs and, like, doing the jig and you know, knowing all the bits to 4,500 times. And I mean, we, we do it now when, when you go and see tribute bands and you, you can sort of recreate the, the, the olden days with, with people who, 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 who can remember what it was about, which is lovely, you know. Um, but of course, in 86, all that changed. And, but again, at the time, I, I didn't care. I was just ecstatic that they were back. And it, I always thought, well, who's going who's gonna to sing... Roadhouse Blues, because Alan's not in the band anymore. They're, they're not going to sing Roadhouse Blues, because that's Alan's song. But then Rick sang it, and I was like, why, why is Rick singing Roadhouse Blues? And all those, all those, because I always thought, this is what I liked about them. I never, I know Francis is like the main man, but I always saw them as, as being three equal 
front, you know, they had Rick, he had his songs, Francis had his songs, and Alan had his songs. In, in a normal concert, pre-84, they'd probably split it, you know, three ways between them. So it, did, it didn't feel like there was a lead singer, like, like Bruce Dickinson and I, you know, it was like, it, it felt, that's why they felt different to me, because they felt like they were a gang of mates with all sort of equal responsibilities and, and parts to play in the show, you know. You'd, you'd look at the, you'd buy the albums and you'd see it was all Rossi Young on, on the writing credits, Rossi Young and Rossi Frost. And you'd think, oh, well, maybe, maybe it's Francis's band after all. But live, it was a different story. You know? Yeah, there was sort of the story of, of two different images, I think, going in that time. Live, as you've pointed out, and on album. Um you mentioned being a member of the fan club. Did that continue? Because when we were talking beforehand, you said you've been to all of the conventions that have currently been over the last sort of 10 years or so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, well, I, I was a member uh, from 82 till I think 84, 85. But then because I thought they were splitting up, I, I didn't, I didn't renew my membership. And I only renewed my membership um, in the noughties. And that was really as a result of um, um, the, the, the internet and the, and the message board appearing. And, and uh, so for a long time, I, I wasn't in the fan club. I, I sort of went off them a bit, really, after Thirsty Work. I mean, I loved Thirsty Work. I know people don't like it. It's a bit of a Marmite album, but I love, I love Thirsty Work. I think it's a cracking album. Me too. I was listening to it in the car just before. But then what, what happened was I, I moved away. I moved over to the Channel Islands. And I know there's, there's um, some Quo fans in Jersey. I'm, I'm friends with some of them. Um, but it just meant it was really hard to go. It was really expensive to come back to fly over to go and see Quo. And, it, and when they did, like, Don't Stop, I was like, oh, I'm not bothered about this. So... Um, I kind of went off them, and it was I only got back into them really, um, nineteen ninety nine when when Under the Influence came out. I thought that was absolutely. I thought this was a return to form, and then and then I got in and then got onto the internet. You know, two thousand two thousand and one. Found found the message board, found the Quo site, and then I, it was amazing for me to be able to to chat online with with Quo fans and. and discuss our you know our love for the band i mean there used to be some right arguments on the message board in the in the early days it was absolutely brilliant i mean you just you just get the virtual popcorn out and sit back and watch it on read all these arguments people people were very passionate um you know viewpoints old old quo versus new quo blah 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 it was great i mean I, i still never i never really get tired of that to this day but yeah so so that reignited my passion for Quo. But I'd moved back to the UK by then, so um, so I was able to go to gigs again. So I joined the fan club um, in the hope of you know being able to get like good seats for, for gig tickets. Because um, the, the FDMO convention thing in minor that didn't start till 2015, which is you know which is relatively late for a band that's been going since 1962, you know. But I think it was. Paul and Yvonne, really, because they were just fans. But they were because it's like the when when they took over from from the, the fan club from Mike Rano, 
it started, you know, the tagline was by the fans, for the fans. So it was a lot more sort of grassroots kind of feeling. And you had all these, you had this scene with the tribute bands, all these really great tribute bands were, were cropping up. And it just seemed like um, there was an appetite there for fans to go and celebrate Quo. Didn't necessarily need Quo to be there. It's not like you go to a Queen convention and Brian May to, you know, um, it's just it's like you had all you had all these amazing tribute bands, and it was just a fantastic opportunity to go and um, uh, and watch them, you know, under one roof over a weekend and have a few beers with your mates and um, have a good time. So, oh yeah, I've been to been to all of them. I'm really looking forward to the one in September, which is it's coming up pretty soon. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's something that I'm very much looking forward to as well. It's my first time. Um, you were saying you you did such a long journey to to previous ones i mean this shows the de- dedication of fans mine it's not an easy place to get to unless unless you live you know in that part of the country but i mean i well i live in i live near blackpool now but i used to live in sheffield and it's all so that's all still north isn't it? anywhere anywhere north of birmingham is still the north so uh you'd sort of drive down and you'd get near bristol and you think oh we're nearly there and yet still it's still be another couple of hours <laughs> Yeah, the first time I went, I, I flew down there. I got a train from Sheffield to Manchester Airport, and then I flew down to, thinking, thinking it would be quicker, right? F- flew from Manchester to Exeter, which took, I don't know, half an hour, 40 minutes, and then hired a car. and then dro- dro- It was like planes, trains, north. It literally was planes, trains, north mobiles. Uh, but I, just, I didn't have Don Candy in the car. So, yeah, but it was, it's worth the trip. It's definitely worth the trip. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, well, I'm sure um, many people listening are also looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, before I let you go, you, you've had a you, you mentioned kind of listening to albums in previous in you know in very recent years, whereas at the beginning you were listening to singles. Yeah, because I assume it's it was a lot cheaper then, so yeah. it's kind of what you would collect. Yeah. Um, do you have a particular favorite album that you continue to revisit or is it kind of spread over all of them because you're such a massive fan um well i i do like all of them i I find myself nowadays like creating playlists you know i'll cherry pick favorite tracks off different albums create my own little greatest hits but if i if i was to pick an album uh you know if i had to pick one album It'd probably be on the level, I think, because um, that album is just, I mean, it's really hard to pick, you know, those, those first what, one, five albums, Pile Driver Through to Blue For You. I mean, you can't really, it's like trying to pick your favourite child, isn't it? You know, you, but um, I think for me, on the level, just not just pause. I mean, the sound on that album is amazing. It's got like this this dynamic attack, which just is like, when it first hit with that, when Little Lady opens on that, it's just it's proper, it's, it's frantic. Um, but it's got one of my favourite tracks, which is Night Ride, right? And Night Ride is a, it's a bit of a dark horse because, you know, it, was, it wasn't a single. I don't think they ever played it. They might have played it live a couple of times in 75, but um, that is just, that, that song has got, groove and feel and they captured that 
I don't think they've ever really captured that sort of swing that that song's got uh, ever again since. So I love it for that. Also, it's got the full length down down uh, on there. It's got the bye bye Johnny. Oh, I saw the light. I mean, you know, it's just all the songs on there are amazing. And I, I was really pleased actually. Um, I felt a bit sort of. I patted myself on the back because I, I managed to get a ticket to the premiere for Hello Quo, right, in, in Leicester Square, uh, a blagged one. I got it off him. Um, he's not with us anymore, bless him. Carl Malone, Richie's dad, he's passed away recently. But um, I, he had a spare ticket, so I got it off him. Again, you know, one of the perks of the message board. Um, so went down to there. And that was it was that was great. I mean, watching the we were the first people to see the reunion of the Frantic Four, you know, like on this big screen in Leicester Square. Amazing. You know, ever everyone was crying in the audience, which was just brilliant. Anyway, there was a QA, a QA after. I think Paul Gambettino was hosting it. And he asked Francis what was his favorite album. And, and Francis said, uh, on the level. And I thought, oh, I thought, yes, that's that's mine. That must mean I've got good taste or something. Because <laughs> I agree with Francis. <laughs> I was very happy about that. Yeah. Definitely. And I think that entire time with the reunion, that documentary, uh, I mean, if, even to lesser extent, all the Bula Quo stuff, there was so much Quo material of every kind coming out at that time. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think we're going to leave it there because for some reason there's some kind of strange zoom limit that I've never seen. Oh, really? Yes. Ah. Uh, So you're, you're probably going to get cut off. So I will say thank you so much for being uh, a guest on this edition of the Quocast, Neil, and please do come back and let's chat some more Quo. Yeah, I'd love to, Jamie. Yeah. (laughs) 